You are listening to a podcast from Influence Church. We hope it encourages and empowers you to make a difference in your world for the kingdom of God. For any more information, visit our website, influencechurch.co.uk. Enjoy the message. but we'll, we'll press it now, I do apologise. Um, Rich said in the prayer time that, our, uh, that my message the other day, I'd met with him and it was 58 minutes long. He wasn't lying, um, but I've done a good revision on it since. So it's, uh, this is the shortened, abridged version, or unabridged, I don't know really which one you want to go for. I'm going to read some scripture and then we'll pray and then we'll get into this. Matthew 5, reading from verse 1 to verse 12, it says this. It says, now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them. He said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. I'm going to pray and we'll get into this. Lord God, I just thank you right now that you can speak to each and every one of us through your word, Lord. And I just pray right now, Lord, for, rev- for revelation for each and every one of us, Lord. Let us receive something from you in this place today. Let us hear from you, Lord, and let us be blessed by it as well. In your name, Jesus. Amen. 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 The, the passage of Scripture there is, the, is known typically in your Bible as the Beatitudes. It's a series of statements that Jesus makes right at the very beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. And the Sermon on the Mount is this amazing passage of Scripture that we see uh, right at the beginning of Matthew, where Jesus really comes and delivers uh, his ministry to, to the people of, of, Jeru- of Judea at the time. And we see Jesus deliver some absolutely amazing things. Now, there, there are some divided opinions on how the Sermon on the Mount played out. Some people take a, a very literal view on it. They say that, you know, Jesus stood on a mountainside and preached this message that spans three chapters. Um, if you want a great example of that, you can find that in Monty Python's The Life of Brian. You'll see that explained in the first three minutes of that. Um, we will not go into any more detail. And don't worry, my theology today is not drawn from that film um, but the, but the um, I'm really sorry, I watched that film last night, and I said to Em as we were watching it, I was like, this is a mistake, because it's too, too close to the knuckle. Um, but <laughs> the, the Sermon on the Mount, some people believe it was delivered like that. Some people, and some academics believe that it was, it's a series of rabbinical sayings that Jesus said throughout the life of his ministry. But the reality of the matter is, it doesn't matter which way it played out. The reality is, is that this is, this is what Jesus said, and these are what Jesus' words were to the people. There are, the Sermon on the Mount in and of itself plays a hugely significant role 
in the change of thinking that Jesus brought about um, in his time in ministry. What we see in the Sermon on the Mount is Jesus taking a previously dogmatic and um, very literal approach that what was happening before was the, that we'd have the Pharisees and the teachers of the law would teach a very dogmatic way of looking at Scripture. It was all literal. It was all prescriptive. It was, you must do this and this and this and this and this, and therefore you may stand a small chance of entering into the kingdom of heaven. But Jesus came and brought about a completely different approach. When we read the, the Sermon on the Mount, what we see is this vastly different thing, moving from dogmatic understanding to pragmatic mindsets. Jesus himself at the beginning of Matthew, at the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5 20 said this to the people he said for I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven what we see is Jesus teaching that no longer will this mindset be useful no longer will this will these behaviors be the thing that will lead you into the presence of God Jesus you can see here is setting the foundation he's working the ground for what was about to come shortly after he's setting people up to understand that a relationship with God is far more prevalent and far more important than the than the rules and regulations that have been put in place beforehand ultimately the sermon on the mount shows us that the grace of God is fundamental for all of us as well this major call in a change of thinking cannot be done on a, simply through telling our brains to do something different. In fact, what Jesus is showing is all the way through that the grace of God is sufficient for us, that it's, it's the thing that's needed. It's the kryptonite in the situation that as we receive that grace, that there is a change and a shift in thinking. It's, it's incredible, really. And what we see right at the very beginning is these Beatitudes. Now, on their own, as, as individual things, the Beatitudes are, in and of themselves, all inherently beautiful. It's, it's Jesus telling us that these circumstances, these times where you'll be blessed. But I believe that we can look at them a lot more wholly. Like, we can look at them a lot more collectively, because the Beatitudes themselves are a collection of statements that really talk about, I think, the byproduct of someone who's living a life to the full in Jesus who's pursuing God with all their heart, who's desiring God in all their ways. I think that as we look at them, these Beatitudes really are representative of the byproduct of our salvation. Now, what I didn't want to do today, and the reason why my message was at 1.58 minutes long, was I didn't want to do the injustice of any of the Beatitudes and say, well, I'm only going to look at one or two. I wanted to look at all of them, and I wanted to look at them in depth, and I wanted to look at them as, as best as I possibly could. But what I soon realized was that with the number, a great number of these, that to actually understand the true meaning, you can't just simply look at them on a surface level. You can't just simply look at them and go, I've read that sentence, I'm going to apply that. It doesn't quite work like that. We have to understand some of the hermeneutics behind it. We have to go into the Greek a little bit with it. We have to pursue what Jesus was really saying because, unfortunately, with the evolution of language over time, sometimes we can miss the real context. And so today, I'm not going to do that. <laughs> what, I'm, I'm gonna do some, we're going to do something different, but I want to encourage you. 
you know, we started a month in Matthew, and if you look back, uh, yes, I think it was either yesterday or Friday's post was Matthew 5, and Pastor Nick Reynolds put a brilliant starting point on the Beatitudes on there, where he starts to, he started to look at some of them in a little bit more detail and really gave a great understanding of what each of them mean. But I would encourage you to go further than that as well. These Beatitudes are a fantastic thing to look at. They're a fantastic thing to measure your own spiritual health by. Um, and actually exploring them and understanding what they truly mean can do an amazing thing. But I want to look at them collectively today. Because I believe that within all of them there are amazing things, but as a collective statement about God's people, we can actually see so much in them. I believe that these, these Beatitudes really present themselves as the characteristics of citizens of God's kingdom. If we're desiring God in, in everything we want, if we're pursuing God in all things, if we're, if, we're being, if we're passionate and zealous about our faith, then these things will just exuberate out of us, that they'll, they'll radiate out of us as simply a byproduct of that. And so if we look at them collectively, we can see within that that there are, there's so, so much. And I think that I have three things today that I want to share quite quickly with you that I believe are characteristics of citizens of the kingdom of God. That's characteristics that reflect these, but then also bring these together. And the first one of these is this, is kingdom citizens are kingdom minded. In the same way that the Beatitudes are selfless, so too, church, must we sometimes pass up on our own wants, needs, desires, and agendas, and things like that. I'm going to start this point off with, with a bit of a story, and it's, Rich, you're probably going to want to rugby tackle me at the beginning of this. Hold back. It's okay. And the, I'll start, well, I'll preface this with a statement, actually. If I'm being completely honest, and like, not just sort of like, that surface level honesty, which we all like to hear from like people at the front on a Sunday. Um, but actually, like honestly, and when I, when I went through this message, I did some serious like introspection on myself and it, I felt really challenged by elements of this. And this, this first point of being kingdom minded really challenged me personally. I'm going to be honest. I don't always agree with what God says to me. That silence is golden. I'm waiting for the tackle. Um, but I don't. And I, I would imagine if we're being honest and if we took a survey in this room where we could 100% guarantee the honesty and the secrecy of its results to the point where you would be completely anonymous within it, I imagine I wouldn't be alone in that. In fact, I imagine that I'd probably be in the majority in that. The, the thing is, is that we don't always agree with what God is saying to us. We don't like it sometimes. Do you know what? I've, I came to the conclusion during this message that, that that's actually okay. Because it's, it's okay into the extent of knowing that we disagree. But we have to understand something very, very important about God. And that's simply this. We find it in Isaiah 55. It, this, it says this. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways. And my thoughts higher than your thoughts. The Lord's ways are higher than our ways. You know, sometimes if you, if you imagine our, our position with God as sometimes as how a parent would lead a child, the child will disagree. The child may not want to go to the doctors. The child may not want to go to school, but the parent knows that what's better for them is so much more important for them to do. And in the same way, in, our, in the same way of our relationship, that's the same thing too. But it doesn't rule out the fact that some of us are stubborn. I'll be honest, I am stubborn. Um, and some of the front row are laughing, and I know because they've had to, if you have to work with me, I feel sorry for you, because it isn't fun. Um, I am stubborn, but recently, and I can tell you the exact day it was, it was after Rise Conference on the, on the Saturday evening, um, 
I, I found myself really challenged on this, on the idea of disagreeing with God, on the idea of being kingdom-minded as opposed to self-minded. Um, what had happened was we, we were packing down the church, and over here in, in Richmond, in, the, in, the, in this building, it seemed to be going quite well, and everyone seemed to have a job, and it was reasonably, it was reasonably busy. And what I thought was, I could probably dodge a bit of this pack down by going over to the Methodist church where we had the kids' conference. And supervise. some of you are shaking your heads at me, but I know you do the same thing. Um, I went over there with the, with the intention of helping and making sure that that building was closed down. Um, what ended up happening was that building was closed, was pretty much done by the time I got there. So I ended up leaving, but then ended up being a taxi service for some of our young people back to this building. Um, and as I was leaving that building, I remember I, I, I walked out the door and I was making a beeline for my car and I just clocked this guy out the corner of my vision and I saw him stood like just by the entrance to the church and I was so challenged by it by God I remember in that moment God was just like you need to go and speak to him and so I was like oh but God it's Saturday night and we've been on all day and like you guys think that this is an exasperated like conversation it wasn't like this was me justifying myself to God of like you know I've worked hard today for your kingdom God like I've not stopped like I just want to go home and watch Netflix with my wife like but okay I'll go and speak to him and what followed was and in reflection, the most half-hearted effort of having a conversation with someone ever, which was just me going, hey, mate, are you okay? I see you waiting outside the church. Are you wait- what, what are you up to? And he didn't really give me an answer, and he walked away. And so I, lo- I went back to my car, and at this point, all the kids that were walking back, which were sensible or weren't carrying ridiculous things, had gone. And I was just left with this one kid who was carrying this massive vat of jelly. <laughs> My car's quite new, and it's quite dear to me. And I know we shouldn't hold on to earthly possessions so tightly, but the next day I was planning on driving Jerome and Leanne Rudder over to Penrith, and I was like, this car's been valeted. Like, there is no way. Um, the grace of God is that I gave the kid a lift, but I was, like, so direct about, like, you know, you will hold that jelly. That jelly is more important. And, like, the whole time driving down the road, like, you know when you're nervous about something, so you're just constantly giving it side eye, just, like, staring at it. And, like, if that jelly starts to fall, I'm letting go of the wheel. And, like, Jesus, you deal with that. I'm dealing with this. Um, sort of moment. But it served a purpose because as we were driving along, as I was side eyeing this jelly, I saw this guy again. And like, my goodness, had he made some progress. I mean, Methodist Church to here is like not even a quarter mile, but he'd like literally made his way like three quarters of the way here in the space of about a minute. And I was like, right. I didn't really think much of it. I thought, well, he's just in a bit of a rush, isn't he? And pulled up at the church and outside the front, got the jelly out of the car. I was like, thank you, Lord, no more jelly in the car. And got, we're getting there, trust me. Um, (laughs) It's a long story. I realize this, but as I like, got this kid out of the car I remember the door shut and I just sat there and I just felt God in my heart just prompt me so much and he was like what you did before wasn't what I wanted go and speak to this guy now and I I turned my car around and no word of a lie like 10 meters in front of me by the time I turned the car back to drive towards him he was like in front of me and so I pulled up alongside him and we ended up having a conversation um he ended up somehow ended up getting in my car um and after a, a lengthy conversation, I would just remember, and it was a lengthy conversation, I'm not going to go into the details of what happened in there or anything like that, but he definitely needed someone to speak to. It was definitely a God moment. And then right towards the end of the conversation, I just remember hearing like from God again and saying, you need to take him home. He needs to be with his wife and his kids tonight. 
Um, and so I ended up driving him like quite significantly out of my way back to back to his house. And I haven't seen the guy since. I don't know the byproducts of that conversation. I don't know, you know, what I, I know some of what was going on in his life, but I don't know the full picture. And I'm not going to profess to know anything more than that. But what I realized in reflection on this was at every possible point in this in this journey, I was resilient. I was trying to do the bare minimum. I was trying to do what my mind said was acceptable. And actually what God calls us to is something completely different. Do you know what? It was uncomfortable to have that conversation with him. It was inconvenient to have that, that, do that car journey. But the reality of the matter is, is that when God calls us, sometimes it's going to be uncomfortable. Sometimes it's going to be inconvenient. But spiritually mature people, people who are pursuing God, people who are kingdom-minded in their nature, who are chasing after God, who radiate these characteristics of the Beatitudes, people like that, what they do is they see those opportunities and they they don't drag their heels towards them. They run towards them as, in, as enthusiastically as they can. More often than not, we try and make things different and we try and make things simple. But if we're going to be kingdom citizens who are kingdom-minded, we need to step into what these Beatitudes are, making them not descriptive, making them descriptive of our nature, not prescriptive of our behavior. And there's a difference between the two. Because when they're descriptive of our nature, we're all in. We're pursuing God with all our heart. We're eager. It's not about what I can reasonably do. It's about what I need to do to make sure that, that, that I am living for the values and the purposes of the kingdom of heaven. When they're prescriptive of our behavior, what we'll do instead is the bare minimum to fly under the radar so that no one can possibly challenge that we aren't actually trying to live that way. It would have been very easy in that moment um, for me to have said, well, I tried talking to him, but he walked away. But you know what? God's got a plan for him. It's all good. And on flying under the radar, it would have been the thing of like people say, oh, well, he tried to have a conversation. At least you tried would have been the kind of mentality. But that is the bare minimum. God doesn't call us to the bare minimum. He calls us to, to serve him with all of our hearts. I don't think you can read the Sermon on the Mount and seriously think that Jesus wasn't leading people to this kind of mindset that wasn't leading people to say, you know what, you need to live for the kingdom. You need to throw off what, what was previously understood, cast away your previous understanding, cast away the idea of being a Sunday Christian, actually to live your life for the kingdom of God and to, ex to exhibit these behaviors, to exhibit these characteristics through all that you do. You need to live full on for him. Thing is, though, it's convenient to just try and pass it by as, as a surface level. It's, e it's convenient to try and do it only on a Sunday, but if we're, all being, if we're truly going to look within our hearts, if we're truly going to look inwardly at ourselves and ask the question, am I living for the kingdom? Am I kingdom-minded in what I do? More often than not, I reckon we all get challenged and convicted on this because the reality is, is that, yeah, we can put on a good show on a Sunday, but what are you like when you're at home? Elevate, what, you, what would your parents say about you when you're, when you're not in church? Would they say that you're the same on a Sunday as you are on a on, on, on through the rest of the week? Are you the same on a Friday through the week? Young adults, same thing. If you're living with your parents, what would they say? And you might think, oh, well, I'm an adult. I've moved out. No one else sees me. Well, do you know what? What would God say? Because ultimately, God sees all. God knows all. God knows the condition of our hearts. God will challenge that. God will grow that. But it sometimes requires us to come forward to him with repentance in our hearts and say, God, actually, start to do a new thing within me. The second point is this. Kingdom citizens are in good company. 
I, I want to start this one with a, with a scripture that's not from Matthew, and it's Hebrews 12, verse 1 or 2. And you might think, oh, I know where he's going with this. He talks about the great cloud, but you're missing the point. And I'm not. I, reckon, I recognize the great cloud within this scripture. I recognize that what Paul was talking about in Hebrews 12 is the great cloud of witnesses and uh, from Hebrews 11. But if we understand the great cloud of witnesses, what it is is just this long list of people who were heroes of the faith, that would live their lives in a way that had meant that others could encounter Jesus, that live their lives in such a way that maybe they'd been martyred or sacrificed or they'd had to do things that were just above and beyond. Now, we can view that list in one of two ways. We can view it as this list that has an end point, which rightly so in the Bible it does, but it's that end point really comes towards the, end, the time of Paul's writing. Or we can ask the question of, does that list continue on even into this modern day? And I fully believe that the great, that is a snapshot of the great cloud, but that great cloud of witnesses continues into the very day, into, this, into the very days of now. And that if we were to look around this room, we would probably find some people that, that are in that great cloud of witnesses, that have lived their lives sacrificially so that we can encounter Jesus, that have done things and moved mountains that we may not even recognize, that, that actually there are people in this room, you may well be one of them that has, done, has, has lived your life in such a way that it's made open the gateway for people to come into the presence of God. And that great cloud of witnesses carries on. Um, Hebrews 12 then says this, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. This verse, I think, speaks volumes into what Paul saw as kingdom culture in, in his day, of what he wanted and had an expectation of the kingdom, the citizens of the kingdom of heaven to be like and to be like collectively. Um, the thing about this verse is we often skip the great cloud and we look at the bits that are really great to preach on, the idea of throwing off everything that hinders, running with perseverance and setting our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. This, this makes for a great message, but what actually Paul is saying before all of that is actually that as we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, as we are surrounded by heroes of the faith, let us do these things. And when we recognize that when that becomes our reality, it changes things in a church. It changes things in a community of believers. Because if you look to your left, I went right when his left is over here. Um, if you look to your left and you see a, a family or a, a series of believers just pursuing God in all that they have, you know, desiring God and, and growing in their faith and developing themselves and pursuing God passionately. And then you look to your right and you see the same thing and so on and so forth. What happens is that as a community, as a collection of people, the, the culture becomes the norm. Culture simply is the way things are done around here. And if the way things are done around here is actually that we're going to pursue God with all we have, that we're going to be people that no matter what day of the week it is, no matter where it is, no matter how inconvenient or difficult, no matter if it's in the workplace or in the school or where, when we start to pursue God like that, that, that good company creates a culture and an environment where other people will naturally do it. Good cultures are contagious, but bad cultures are as well. And when we choose to actually say to ourselves, you know what, I'm going to pursue God right now. And it might be, the easier thing might be to tear this thing down. The, easiest thing, the easier thing might be to be negative about Sunday. Oh, there wasn't many people in church. That must be a bad indicator or this, that and the other. You know, you can throw those statements out. 
doesn't build the kingdom, doesn't set the culture, but the culture is set when we pursue God passionately with all that we have. My prayer is that as a church, we champion this. Final point and band, if you, you want to join me, that would be amazing, is this. Is what's the one thing that all of the Beatitudes have in common? And it's, it's this, it's blessings. If we live the Beatitudes, we live a blessed life. I'm going to say a Greek word now, and I am going to absolutely butcher the pronunciation. So don't judge me. Um, I think like part of our staff training should be like Greek 101, just so that when we pronounce stuff, it doesn't like insult a whole nation. But this, this word is going to come up on the screen is makairoi. I have no idea if I'm pronouncing it right. But it, this, this is the word that throughout, these, throughout the Beatitudes is the word that prefaces the beginning of each one. When Jesus says, blessed are you, blessed are the meek, blessed are the peacekeepers, blessed are the righteous, uh, the ones that hunger and thirst for righteousness, the, this is the word that is used the whole way through. And this word means to be blessed and to be happy, but it doesn't mean like a, an earthly or, a, or like a personal one. It's in the most godliest sense of the word. I think sometimes what we can do is we can get so caught up in the idea that, of, what we, of what blessing actually means. And, and we can totally receive physical blessings. I, I'm not in this, please understand that what I'm not doing here right now is dismissing the idea that God will physically bless his people because he absolutely will. He absolutely does. There are some astounding testimonies in this room today of God blessing his people through the most ridiculous and like unheard of ways. But more often than not, the blessing that Jesus is talking about here isn't necessarily physical, but much more spiritual. It's deeper than the physical. It's more powerful than the physical. We wrongly assume that it's tangible, but it's so, so much more. This is a, a blessing which is a happiness that's a joy that comes into our lives as we pursue God that's irrespective of circumstance. It's irrespective of strife. It, you, you can still struggle. You can still suffer you can still be in a bad place but still have the blessing of the Lord on you because you'll find a joy in your pursuit of him I'm going to say a sentence and it's it's a bit blunt but it's true God is less concerned about your strife and more concerned about your devotion to him I'm going to say that again God is less concerned about your strife and more concerned about your devotion to him and likewise, a blessed and devoted Christian is, more con is less concerned with the earthly and more concerned with the heavenly in all that they do. The reality is, is that we're going to face struggles in our lives. We're going to face battles. Things are going to be difficult. Things are going to be hard. And you know what? The, the Holy Spirit will come in those moments. He'll come as a comforter. He'll come as a guide. He'll give you wisdom. He'll lead you. But more importantly than that, if we're pursuing God, the, the, the circumstance sometimes has to become ir ir irrelevant. And when we look through the Bible, we see examples of this the whole way. People like Daniel. Daniel, in his strife, when he was in the lion's den, wasn't praying away the lions. Shadrach, I put Rakshak and Benny in my notes, but Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were, they didn't pray away the flames, and David didn't pray away the giant. But what they did instead was they chose to give God glory 
in those situations. It's like they knew that what their circumstance was, God would be glorified through it. And somehow, maybe we need to change the language of our prayers a little bit. Maybe we need to stop asking God to deliver us and actually ask God, how will he be glorified through the circumstances we find ourselves in? Because you know that no matter what your circumstance is today, you can still bring God glory. It doesn't matter if you're on the highest mountain or in the lowest point of your life. God can still be glorified through you. When we press into him and we pursue him, his glory will radiate through and around us. We serve a God who expects this. We serve a God who expects the first fruits. Abraham and Isaac might have been on a mountaintop, but when taking Isaac to the altar, I imagine that's probably a valley bottom kind of moment for him where he's going and humbly saying, God, if you're saying I'm going to give my son to you, I'll do it. And when he, chose to, when he chose to sacrifice, he was in that position. God sent a lamb. The widow's might, the story of Jesus in the temple, seeing this woman give and turns around and says, this woman has given far more than the rest of them combined because she, this giving has cost her. It shows that Jesus pray, pray, places a high value on sacrifice in our lives. That when we choose to lay it down, when we choose to say, actually, I'm going to be, I'm going to pursue you. We will receive that blessing. We just may not see it in the way that it, we expect it to be. Finally, Elijah and the widow, she gave her all so that Elijah could eat. And God blessed her abundantly through that as well. Church, no matter where we find ourselves, we'll see blessing, we'll find God's graces, we'll find God's goodness, but it requires sometimes a pursuit of him that we maybe haven't gone to before. It requires sometimes us asking the question, how do I need to pursue you, Lord? Where do I need to improve myself? What, what am I currently falling short in? And I truly believe that when we ask God those questions, he'll answer. And so what I want to do in this place today is create an atmosphere and create a moment where we can do exactly that. It's going to be a little bit more complicated just with the layout of like the slides and stuff. But tech team, could we just throw up the first part of that, of the Beatitudes, please? Is that okay? Amazing. Um, What I want you to do today, if you've got a Bible or you've got a phone with the Bible on, this is going to work so much better because you'll be able to see it all in one sitting. Is if you, if you truly believe that you've got nothing to improve in yourself, then congratulations, but I disagree. Because there's only one individual who's perfect and he sits at the right hand of the throne of God and his name is Jesus and he gave his life for us. And he was needed because none were able to attain the perfection and the standard that God expected. So for the rest of us that don't sit in in that throne, we've got some work to do. We've all got some business to do. And so today what I want to do is create a space where you can do some business with God in this place. I want you to look through those Beatitudes, those characteristics, those qualities, and just begin to ask God the question, Lord, where am I lacking in right now? What, which one of these am I not? It doesn't describe me. Because these Beatitudes should describe the nature and the characteristics of all Christians. We did an activity in our, in our youth academy on Thursday morning where we asked the kids, write down three statements that you want to be known by in the world. And we got them to do it. And like first, we gave them 15 minutes. 15 minutes in, most of them hadn't even written two statements because of the way they found how difficult it was. Because introspection is hard. Looking at ourselves and saying, hey, like, Lord, what do I need to do? Like, God, God will point it out. God will guide us and God will lead us. But getting to that place is difficult. It requires, it requires something of us which is hard to find in this world. It requires humility. It requires a repentant heart. It requires someone to come before God and say, God, 
What do I need to do right now? And be prepared to hear an ugly truth. Because most of us, when we start to hear the ugly truth, we just drown it out because it's easier to ignore. But that doesn't lead you into God's presence. That doesn't make your heart pure. That doesn't get you, that doesn't get you anywhere other than just being comfortable in your own skin. But God doesn't call you to that. God doesn't call you to comfort. God calls you to holiness. There's a difference. And so today, just as the band leaders in worship, just reflect on those scriptures. Ask God. And I'm sure he'll speak to you in this place today. And then, when you're ready, just stand and join the band in worship and we'll bring this service to a close. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Influence Church. For any more information, visit our website, influencechurch.co.uk. Influence Church, empowering you to make a difference in your world for the kingdom of God.